Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hallelujah. Go with me, if you will, back to the book of Haggai. Hopefully, you'll have a little bit of an easier time finding it this week than last week. Right towards the end, end of the Old Testament, nearing transition. The transition's a funny thing. Transition is a part of life. You can refuse it, you can reject it, you can resist it, but there's nothing you can do about it. Transition will come. And we need transition in our life. And in this point, the book of Haggai, remember we're finding the people of God coming out of captivity once again. What a cycle that is. Free bondage. Free bondage. Freedom, captivity. Stuck, released. You know, what what, what a cycle that is. And yet we seem to find ourselves repeating these same cycles, don't we? We find ourselves repeating. We read about it. We see it in the Word. We see it all being played out in front of us, and we think, oh, what a bunch of crazy folks. What a bunch of people don't know what they're doing. And then come to find out we are repeating the same broken cycles in our lives, aren't we? A people that came out of Egypt, were freed, went into the promised land, lived their lives, did what they wanted to do rather than what God wanted to do, eventually found themselves handed over to their enemies on a repeated cycle. So God raises up judges to deliver them. Then they get a king, and these kings are supposed to lead them in the righteousness of God, but they don't. They lead them in their own way. And eventually, after years of this, their enemy, Babylon, Babylon the Babylonians, by the leading of King Nebuchadnezzar, finally come in and overthrow God's people and bring them back into captivity. They're in captivity for 70 years. Captivity for 70 years. And finally, a new king comes in and decrees, you guys go back to your own hometown. Now, they're not, you know, it's not freedom if you are told where to go. Right? They, they, you can go back home, but that freedom is not a geographical issue. Freedom is a position of the heart. True liberty That's why, you know, some of the most free people today are behind bars. And some of the most bound people are living free, just like we think we are out here in the the free world, right? It's about the position of the heart, and you can find freedom in bondage. Paul said that, even though most of what he did and most of what he wrote, the most of the books we read were written from behind a jail cell, right? Only for doing the right thing, only for doing what God called him to do, but yet he was free because he wasn't bound by external stuff. He wasn't bound by what was going on on the outside. He said, I can live free on the inside. Doesn't matter what man does to me. Doesn't matter what people say about me. Doesn't matter what they think about me. Doesn't matter what they take away from me. I'm free on the inside. But now we've got a people here in contrast that have been released to go to their home, but are still Living bound, much like the Israelites did when they came out of Egypt, right? God was able to deliver them from Egypt, but he wasn't able to get Egypt out of them. We find here in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, this prophet Haggai is addressing a very specific issue. 
And reading in verse 2, it says, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come. Everyone say time. The time has not come. That uh, The time that the Lord's house should be built. This is what the people are saying. That I have time to do my thing, but I don't have time, time to build the house of God. He goes on in verse 3, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time, everyone say time, time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins. Now specifically what he's speaking to is when the Babylonians came in and took the Israelites captive, they destroyed everything. They burned up their temples. They tore them down. They tore down uh, everything. They tore down their homes. So these people, these captives, are coming out of 70 years of bondage, 70 years of captivity, 70 years where a lot of these individuals coming back home remember what it was like when they left. They're old enough, and it's been a short enough period of time that many of these people that went into captivity are now being released. Of course, some were born in captivity. They didn't know any different. But some of them are coming back to what used to be home, what used to be their place, what used to be their location. And now they're coming back to ruins, and they're coming back to devastation, and they're coming back. The the enemy has released them, but released them to the brokenness that they left behind. And many times we find ourselves in this condition, that we find ourselves in this cycle, and when we come back to what we knew before, it's not the same. We come back, but it, it's, it's devastated, it's broken, it's ruined, it's in pieces. And so, what happens is, is in captivity, you learn a different way of life. It's called survival mode. Anybody ever lived in survival mode? Anybody know what that's like? In survival mode, you learn, probably one of the key indicators of survival mode is you learn how to take care of yourself. Nobody else is going to do anything for you in survival mode. Nobody else is looking out for you in survival mode. Nobody else has got your best interest at heart in survival mode. So you've got to look out for number one, right? If if, if no one else is going to do it, I'll do it. No one else is going to take care of it, I'll take care of it. If nobody else is going to build it for me, then I'm going to build it for myself. And so the people of God, they've come out of this captivity for 70 years. They've come back to the ruins, and the first thing they start working on is their stuff, their own stuff, their houses, their land. And God is addressing this. He says, how do you have time to take care of your stuff, but you don't have time to take care of my stuff? When we talk about time, we're really talking about priorities. And what God is addressing with these people is priorities. He's not telling them they can't have nice houses. He's not telling them they can't have uh, lands full of crops and a great harvest in return. He's not telling them that you don't need to be blessed. You just need to work and slave over my stuff and you don't worry about your stuff. He's telling them if you will make time for my stuff, I will make time for your stuff. And I don't know about you, but God can do a lot better with my stuff than I can. Anybody found that out to be true? He can do a lot better with it than I can. He can do a lot better with my life than I can. He can do a lot better with my relationships than I can. He can do a lot better with my finances 
then I can. And when he says, how do you not have time? What he's saying is, how have you not made my house a priority? Why is your stuff first over my stuff? Remember in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? And all these things will be added. We saw last week that word added means you didn't work for it. That's how much God wants to take care of you. That you're not going to have to toil and work and spin and go through all this work to invest and to sow and to plant. It's not that you won't work, but what he wants to do is he wants to add the abundance to your life that you cannot produce. Our hands are limited. Our work is limited. But when we find ourselves in captivity, when we find ourselves in brokenness, when we find ourselves going through these cycles of bondage and burden, we come out on the other side becoming a disciple, if you will, of captivity. I heard someone say this past week that discipleship is either by default or by design. Disciple just simply means to be a learner, means to be a pupil, means to be a follower. Now, I can be discipled by something I intend to be discipled by, but if I don't, something will disciple me. Something will teach me. Something will lead me, and I will follow, maybe not willfully, maybe unintentionally, maybe subconsciously, but it's producing, and captivity is a teacher. Captivity can be a master. Captivity can force you into a way of life that you don't want to live. And so, again, even though they've come out of captivity, even though they've had a king literally declare, you can go back home. You can go back home. You can do your thing. They don't know how to live back home. And the first thing they start doing is taking care of themselves. They neglect the things of God. They neglect his house. They neglect the priority. You keep on going here. In verse 4, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses in this temple to lie in ruins? Verse 5, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. One version says, think carefully. Think carefully. It means to take inventory. Watch what you're doing. What, look at what you're producing. Look at this in verse 6. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves. One version says layer after layer, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Now, to me, that does not sound like freedom. That sounds like captivity. Again, geographically, they're back home. Geographically, they're back where they belong. Geographically, they're back in, in the place where they would call home. But they are living like captives in a free land. They're living with the burden, and they're living like someone in bondage in a free land. And so they're doing all this work and all this toil, and they're spinning and spending and investing and sowing, and they're getting very little to show for it. 
The factor to this and the key to this, why does God want his temple built? Why is God so interested in these people building him a home? Why are these people so interested? Why is God so interested in these people building this temple? This temple that's been torn down, this temple that's lying in ruins, this temple that's lying in devastation, this temple that is right now a marker of all that's been taken away. What we have to understand about the temple of God is the temple of God where, is where God would manifest his very presence. In the Old Testament, God didn't come and reside inside you and I like we enjoy today. And so he always had a meeting place, whether it was a mound of rocks, whether it was a, a, a monument of stone, whether it was um, uh, an altar that was built. Eventually, when they were in the wilderness after coming out of Egypt, he instructed them to build a tabernacle, right? Eventually, we moved on from the tabernacle. We built the temple. Solomon was in charge of building this temple, and this temple was splendid. Uh, this, tar- this temple was, was just incredible, what this looked like. This is the temple that was torn down. The temple represented, it symbolized the meeting place where God and his people come together, where God would manifest his very presence. In essence, what he's saying is, by neglecting my house and by neglecting my my, my temple, you are neglecting me. Now, we know this about God. What did he say? I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never neglect you, right? So the question isn't, God has left us. The question is, have we returned to God? And by, they returned home, but they didn't return to God. They returned to a place that looks like freedom, but they're still living in bondage. And he's basically saying, you need to return to me. You need to return to me. We have a word for this. It's called repentance. Repentance. Today, we're going to have several individuals that are going to participate in water baptism. And water baptism is a public declaration of an inward decision. It's the inward decision of a repentant heart that says, I am leaving the old and I'm coming to the new. I'm abandoning what I want to do and I'm coming to what God wants to do. And in essence, what you're doing is you are returning to God and you're taking the ruins of your life and you're saying, you instruct me how to build this and how to put this back in place. But what happens is, is now we have this contrast of an unrepentant heart and a repentant heart. We have a contrast of those that maybe want a form of godliness but deny the power. Because repentance isn't coming to an altar. Repentance isn't going to church. Repentance isn't being a good person. Repentance takes place in the heart of a person. And he's addressing the heart of these individuals. He's saying, If you really had a heart to come back to me, if you really had a repentant heart, I would be a priority. The result of that is I would be first place. And you would be saying, how can we take care of the affairs of God? How can we take care of the house of God? You know, in in, in the Old Testament prior to this captivity, they cared about what the house of God looked like. They cared about what that temple looked like. It had the best of the best. 
God didn't get leftovers. God doesn't take second place. God refuses second place. He's either first place or no place with God. And a repentant heart says, I'm returning to you, and I'm aligning my values with yours. I'm aligning my standards with yours. I'm aligning my principles with yours. I'm aligning my priorities with yours. I'm making what's important to you important to me. That's repentance. And these individuals, unfortunately, have not shown a repentant heart. Now, this is an indicator of an unrepentant heart. It's this cycle of doing and doing and doing, but not achieving. Working and working and toiling and toiling. But you know what is the number one indicator? Look, there is unrepentance or an unrepentant heart might not look like what you think it looks like on the outside. The Bible tells us that there's a way that seems right to a man, looks successful to a man. There are ways that we live our lives that would even be honorable in society. We look accomplished. We look fulfilled. But you know as well as I do, on the inside, you're unfulfilled. On the inside, you're left empty. On the inside, you're working and you're working and you're working and you're toiling and you're sowing and you're investing and you're doing all this. And at the end of the day, you know you have very little to show for it. That is the cycle of unrepentance. That is the cycle of a heart that has not returned back to God. He goes on to say in verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. That I may take pleasure. You know what we live for today? To please man. You know what we live for today? To please ourselves. You know what is our priority and is of high value today? How do we look to other people? I told our church years ago. It was probably four or five years in. I said the reason why churches are unsuccessful today is because they're building houses trying to meet the needs of men and women that walk through the doors. And I told our church at that point, we are not building a church for people. I didn't build this church for you. We are not doing what we're doing for you. So if the seats don't feel just right, or if the AC temperature is too cold or too hot, or if the songs are a little too loud, or if the service is a little too long, I'm not here for that. I just go ahead and tell you, that's not why we exist. And you can give me your complaint list. You know, someone asked me one time, is that box on the back for complaints? I said, no. And if they put one in there, well, I got a special file for that. I'm not here for that. In fact, that's a, that's a, that's a never-ending laundry list. Because the second I change something for you, I've upset somebody else. No, we've learned we build the house for God, and you get to come and be a part of it. We're building this house for what he wants. What he wants to say, what he wants to do, what he wants to show forth. That's our only intention. It's not to make people comfortable. We spent about 20 
about the last 20 years building houses for people, and it has given us nothing. And we worked, and we toiled, and we invested, and we spent, and we had very little to show for it, and 2020 proved it to us. We didn't have the church this world needed, but we're building the church this world needs. And it only comes when we make his house a priority, his things a priority, and what's important to him rather than what's important to us. That's the only way this works. That's the only way we can be who we're called to be. And if we get caught up in trying to please man, we get caught up in trying to build our paneled houses and trying to look the part. Oh, they might have looked good, but on the inside, God reveals to them their real heart, you're empty. You're unfulfilled. You spend and you have little to show for it. You're earning your wages and you're putting in a bucket that's got holes at the bottom and it's running right back out faster than you got it in. What kind of life is that? What kind of life is that? But he says, no, a repentant heart returns back to me. A repentant heart makes what's important to me important to you. A repentant heart places a high value on the things I place a high value. A a repentant heart does not lower the standards to appease people. And every time you lower a standard to get someone, you have to lower the standard to keep someone. How you get them is what you got to do to keep them. That's no way to live. And God is addressing me saying, look, the answer is so simple. Return to me. Rebuild my ruins. Rebuild my house. Rebuild. Get get back to what is important to me, and you will see fulfillment in everything you do. That I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Verse 9, you looked for much. But indeed, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all that the labor on all the labor of your hands in essence what he's saying is you went after the blessing instead of going after the blesser you wanted my stuff but you didn't want me you wanted the rain you wanted the crops you wanted the harvest you wanted the mountains you wanted the glory you wanted the fame you wanted all the stuff that i could give you but you didn't really have a heart after me after what's important to me and we cannot be a people that just wants god's stuff even when we talk about revival when we talk about revival we talk about miracles and signs and wonders and manifestations and people being saved we talk about the things that we want but what about getting close to god when does devotion with him become a priority then a result of that is revival that this earth that this earth has never seen When do we get our hearts striving for him, not just his stuff? And it can be very easy to get the two confused because it can look honorable to go after God's stuff. It can look like a pursuit of the right things. It can look like we're going after and prioritizing the right things. But he says, unless I'm in it, 
unless the Lord builds it. We labor in vain, don't we? I don't want just his stuff. I want him. It's not that we don't accomplish anything. It's not that we don't have an appearance of what looks right. But again, he's getting to the heart. The success and achievement and fulfillment in life is no substitute for what God can give you. An unrepentant heart tries to achieve approval through works. An unrepentant heart tries to achieve approval through works. In essence, God is asking, are you more interested in building your kingdom than my kingdom? Are you more interested in building your notoriety than making me famous? Are you more interested in taking all the glory than rather making sure I get all the glory? Are you interested in looking the part or do you want to be the part? I'm not just talking about looking like we have a repentant heart. I'm talking about truly returning, truly repenting. The word repentance means this. It means to change your thinking. It means to change your thinking. I'm going to give you another definition that that word means, and it's going to sound maybe controversial at a time like this. But the word repentance also means this, side with my party. Side with my party. I've seen people vocal about parties these days. I've seen people vocal about which party they side with. But I'm here to tell you today that there's a party that doesn't have a side with either one. It's the party of the kingdom of God. That's the party I want to side with. That's the group I want to be connected with. That's the group I want to participate with. It's the kingdom of God. And to repent, to truly repent, means to come alongside him and his values, him and his purpose, him and his house. What's important to God must become more important than what I want for my life. Look at this in Matthew chapter 3. This is the exciting part. This is what repentance will do for you. In Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus being baptized. He set the example. He put it in motion. In Matthew chapter 3, in verse 16, it says, And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. The Holy Spirit literally came upon his life. And verse 17 says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, in case you didn't know where we're at in Jesus' life, he has not yet performed one miracle. He has not yet taught one sermon. He has not yet walked on water, raised the dead, healed the sick, cast out demons. 
He has not yet confronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He hasn't gone to the cross and died. And before all of that takes place, God does what? Gives him his seal of approval. And this is the key with repentance, is when you have a truly repentant heart, you learn that I'm not working for approval, I'm working from approval. I'm not working to achieve something, but because I have received something, now I can work from that place. And you'll find that you won't be working and it be all to naught. You won't be earning wages and putting it in buckets with holes. You won't continue going through this cycle of freedom and bondage, freedom and bondage, freedom and bondage. But whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And from that position, there's true fulfillment. When we're in the world, when we're doing things for our own benefit, it's like we do so much and yet we feel so little. But what I've found in the kingdom of God, when I have a truly repentant heart, I can do the smallest thing and feel the greatest level of fulfillment. Have y'all found that to be true? It doesn't take all the work anymore. It doesn't take all the extra stuff anymore. It doesn't take going to great lengths anymore. I can do the smallest task in the kingdom of God. And receive fulfillment and know that I wasn't doing it for that in the first place. I don't know about you, but I want my labor to count for something. I want my earning of wages to count for something. I want to sow and reap a great harvest afterward. I'm tired of sowing in the ground and getting nothing back. I'm tired of doing so much and being more tired at the end than I was when I started. I want to start seeing some fulfillment in my life. I want my achievement to count for something. And the only way you'll find that is in the kingdom of God with a truly repentant heart that once again values the things God values. Repentance is coming back to the priorities of God. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 1. Is that my son making all that noise? Got people like, yes, it is. Trying to be louder than me. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. It says this, for he chose us in him, says this, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before him. Verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, here it is, according to the good pleasure of who? His will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 puts it this way. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. For he has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works. But according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before time began. This is the exciting thing 
about repentance is in one moment you can achieve everything your heart's been longing for. In one moment you can achieve and walk in and come to that fulfillment that seems to be eluding you time and time again. And there's no job on the planet that can give you that kind of fulfillment. There's no friendship or relationship that can give you that kind of fulfillment. There's no drug or drink that can give you that kind of fulfillment. There's no value or security that can give you that kind of fulfillment. There's no paycheck or promotion that can give you that kind of fulfillment. It's only found in coming back to the priorities of the Father. And this is the exciting thing. He promised it this way before the foundation of the world. He didn't wait for you to get it right. He didn't wait for you to say the right thing, do the right thing, act the right way, behave the right way. He did all this before you ever even thought about him. You were already in the mind of God. What he's asking you today, what he's inviting you into today in repentance, return to my priorities. Make me first place again. If we're going to see a turnaround in this country, we've got to see a turnaround in our hearts. We've got to see a turnaround where we come back to the things that are valuable to God. And we don't skirt them. We don't go around them. We don't deflect from them. But God, if it's of high value to you, it's of high value to me. If it's important to you, it's important to me. Go back to Haggai chapter 1. The message is very simple today. Return back to God. Repent. That's the first thing Jesus said when he started ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Change your thinking. The course you're on, it's not fulfilling you. You know it. Sundays are tricky because we put on our Sunday best, our Sunday best smile and our Sunday best clothes and our Sunday best attitude and our Sunday best. But at the end of the day, if we're walking back out those doors just as unfulfilled as we were when we came in, we missed what God was trying to do and what God was trying to say. I pray it every single weekend that not one person would leave the same way they came. Every time. You do not have to leave with the same brokenness. He wants to trade your brokenness for restoration. He wants to to trade your anxiety for peace. He wants to trade your hopelessness for hope. The world offers you nothing. And everything they give you comes with a price and comes at a cost. But what he's calling you to today, what he's inviting you to today, through through repentance, through returning to him and making his values priority once again, it'll cost you your life, but what you get in return is far greater. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 11, No, give me, to, give me to verse 12. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, 
the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, here it is, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Again, we saw this last week, feared is not being fearful or afraid of the presence of God. But this was actually being a drawn to the presence, in awe of, and a reverence for the presence of God. In essence, what this verse is saying, the people feared the presence of God. It says the people drew to the presence of God, desired the presence of God. What's that? I'm making his desires my desires. I'm making his priorities my priorities. I'm making what's valuable to him valuable to me. And here in verse 13, it says this, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. Worship team, if you'd come. That's what he's saying today. Through repentance, you're returning back to him. Well, he said he would never leave me, but you abandoned him. You abandoned his values. You abandoned his priorities. You abandoned what was important to him. But by the grace of God, he's calling you back. By the grace of God, he's calling you out of darkness into light. By the grace of God, he's calling you out of death into life, eternal life, life more fulfilled than you've ever seen. By the grace of God, he is giving you an open invitation open invitation. And I want to give you that invitation this morning. There's two ways this can happen. One, maybe you're in this room and you have never given your life to God. You've never confessed or believed that Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, gave his life, and then rose again three days later for you. You may have never taken this step. You may have never acknowledged Jesus as Lord of your life. What does that mean? When you make Jesus Lord of your life, you are handing over ownership to him. When I confess Jesus as Lord, I'm saying everything I have is yours. Everything I am is yours. Every decision I make is yours. Everything I own is yours. That's what making Jesus Lord of my life is. When I make Jesus Lord of my life, I don't call the shots anymore. When I make Jesus Lord of my life, I'm not ruling and reigning and, 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 and choosing my way anymore. Just as Jesus did in the garden, he said, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but your will be done. So maybe that's you. This is your step. This is your moment never confessed it. You've never made that declaration with your voice and with your life. The other opportunity that I want to invite you to today is maybe you have wandered. We've walked away from freedom. We've chosen a life of captivity. We've chosen a life of doing it the way we want to do it. I confess Jesus is Lord. I, 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 I had that moment. I had that time. But, but over the course of time, I've wandered away from his values. He's calling you back. He's saying, return. Don't be afraid of the ruins. 
Don't be afraid of the devastation you might see. Don't be afraid of the brokenness you might come back to. I'm going to teach you how to build it. I'm going to show you how to build it. But first, you've got to make me priority in your life once again. Quit trying to build your house your way. Quit taking care of your stuff while my stuff sits in ruins. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.